out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today I'm happy to introduce my friend Wendy to you. Wendy and I met in treatment just short of eight years ago. We immediately connected and have been enjoying a most lovely friendship since then. Wendy is an archaeologist and her basic belief system is based in science. This added a very interesting dimension to her spiritual journey. I trust that you will enjoy sharing her journey with her. Hey Wendy, how are you doing? I'm very well, and you? I'm well, thank you very much. Did you enjoy your brunch? I did, it was delicious. <laughs> Master chef. Once we got the egg sorted out, we, we could continue with our lives. <laughs> Wendy, I have known you for a long time. Coming oh, up for eight years. Is it really that long? Hmm? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. And in anticipation of this chat, I've been thinking about your journey. But more than that, I've been wondering what your spirituality is. Because I can't recall ever having spoken about it. I don't think we ever have. <laughs> <laughs> and that's weird. <laughs> it forms kind of a significant part of, of our friendship. But I don't think I ever have. So my first question to you is... What is spirituality for you? And I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> is that why you wrote five pages? Out no, I wrote nothing. I don't, I don't do that. Um, I was thinking about it yesterday and realized that I don't talk about my spirituality to most people because it's very different to what I see in the rooms and talking to other people in recovery. I, um, I'm an atheist. So okay. right off the bat... Coming into recovery was very difficult because it's a God-focused or God-centered program. Whatever God is to whoever, I just I had a problem with the word. I had a problem with... The I'm raising my arms, <laughs> indicating <laughs> that so did I. <laughs> I had a problem with the thoughts around having a God being a part of your life. Whether it was nature or... There were so many waves, uh, sunlight, anything. I, I couldn't connect with that. And I really, really struggled for a long time. But also knew that I needed to change what I was doing because I would be dead if I didn't. So I had to figure out some way. And what I initially did was use the fellowship. So I used the people around me keeping in touch with whoever I could, whenever I could, going to a lot of meetings and feeling that connectivity with people there helped me initially. It works, it really does, but it did change over time where having that connection with others wasn't enough because there were things, you know, at 3 a.m. that I just, I can't hand over if I'm struggling and I can't sleep and my mind is racing and... All I can think about is chocolate cake. We call it the hamster effect. <laughs> when the hamster starts running in the head, <laughs> it all hell breaks loose. <laughs> then you need to have connection. <laughs> and it's difficult for me. Yeah. It's not difficult for everyone to pick up Wendy, the phone. I just quickly want to interrupt you and maybe inform the listeners, Wendy's problem is food. Yes. So that's why she mentioned the chocolate cake. Frankly, I've never woken up feeling like chocolate cake. Have you really? Yeah. I'm serious. <laughs> And not after often afternoon nap, I need something sweet. <laughs> but definitely not wake up at three o'clock in the morning wanting chocolate. Craving cake. chocolate cake. Oh yeah. wow. So I am a 
what is called a compulsive overeater. And um, food is my drug. It soothes my soul. It calms my nerves. It's the go-to thing. The blankie that you pull over you whenever something goes wrong, the go-to. Yes. So you said the fellowship wasn't enough anymore. No. It took a long time. It took at least six to eight months when I realized the fellowship wasn't enough. And I realized because I ended up relapsing. Okay. And that although I was reaching out and still going to meetings and still doing the footwork, at three in the morning, chocolate cake was still my best friend. Mm. And that I needed to change. And what I did was look to science. Because there had to be a way where I could merge the feeling of spirituality or the notion of spirituality with a non-belief structure. Yeah. And it was very, very difficult. Because you are a scientist. I'm a scientist. That's, that, that's yeah. what you do. That's what I do. It's I do it every day. It's my job. So you nearly felt that you needed to sell your soul <laughs> to save your soul. <laughs> does, that make, does that make sense? I don't know what you mean by sell my soul. I mean give up on the science. Yeah, because yeah. science was what you felt was your soul. Yes. Um, it was your soul belief and suddenly you had to get rid of that. And if you in, wanted to be healthy, you needed to somehow let, let go of, of old belief system, which, which yes. was your soul. And I couldn't do that because talking about God in the sense that most people do makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And Still. it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. So I had to find something else. And it took a long time. I still used the fellowship for that interim period. I maybe connected more with people just to fill the gap in between. And then I started thinking about how science can work for me. Because when people say, and I started asking a lot of people. I started asking a lot okay. about, you know, what is their spiritual belief? Specifically those that aren't connected to God as in a being. The higher power of is nature. So I remember having a conversation with you. I remember chatting to Kirsty and a host of other people about how they believe. And Most of them in recovery or did you search outside as well? Mostly in recovery. Okay. Yeah. That's one thing I'm hoping to do in this podcast a lot more is find people outside recovery okay. with a spiritual path that, mm. that's got stuff to share with us. Mm. As Yaku says in the first episode of this podcast, recovering addicts don't have a monopoly on on misery so a lot of non-addicts will also go through difficult times mm-hmm. and eventually also find something that that they can cling to okay, okay. so you spoke to to, mm. to to people mostly in recovery so mostly in recovery recovery trying to find answers and there were one or two that had a science spin on things more looking at the physics of belief but didn't quite work what i did find overwhelmingly was that everyone needed to have something that they couldn't explain and that's what they believed in so if it was mother nature it's because you don't know how certain things work and for me that's difficult because when i don't know how something works i go and i find out it's the nature (laughs) of a scientist yeah and i'm not saying with everything but things that i could think of like okay let me try mother nature okay i know how waves work i know how planetary systems move i know how this i know how this so it didn't work for me so i needed to find something that i couldn't explain and that was key for me and also difficult very very difficult and i mean you're not 
not that I'm a genius and I just know how everything works, but I have Google. Yeah. <laughs> For as long as Dr. Google exists, we don't need anything exactly. else. Exactly. <laughs> so it needed to be something that I couldn't harness and I couldn't Google and I just didn't understand and was okay with that. And funnily enough, what it ended up being is connectedness. I don't know how it works. I get the help I need at a meeting. I get the help I need when I phone a friend. I get the help I need when I need to meditate at three in the morning because I have a chocolate cake craving. Yeah. I get the help I need when I talk to my hubby. I get the help I need when I get cuddles from the cat. Mm. And I don't understand why that is, yeah. but it's, and it's based in something I can't explain, but to me, it's a connection between all things. It's things like coincidence, things like friendship. It's love. It's synchronicity. That's coincidence, yeah, basically. Yeah. It's just being <clears throat> at one with the way the world is. Yeah. And accepting that that's the way the world is. And Accepted. I think that that was key. Is that, yes, I could see that there was connectivity with what I needed in certain things. And I couldn't explain it. That's great. But I needed to accept that that was it. And the moment I could accept that... I didn't need Google anymore. I didn't need to explain what the connection was. I didn't need to go and understand any woo-woo science or scientifically based idea. It just was it. And the moment that happened, I felt what people in recovery talk about, wearing your higher power like yeah. a full bl warm blanket, because that became higher power. The ability to know and accept that if I need the help, it's there. Whatever it is, whether it's the cat or husband or friend or a seminar or a meeting, it doesn't actually matter. Could it be that you moved from the head to the heart? Because that's where con connectivity lies, isn't it? Or is it also a rational process for you? Is that possible? <laughs> is it not possible? <laughs> I think, yes, it could have been a shift into the heart, as you say. So allowing that kind of love and acceptance, which is not a rational thought. The yeah. moment the science takes over, nothing becomes heartfelt. So yes, I think to a degree, although it was an investigation into how I could fit it into my life, ultimately it was about handing it over to something that I couldn't see. Yeah. Which is a emotional move yeah. yeah an investigation in terms of spirituality is completely acceptable and okay i think even the the, the a, a big book makes a statement about is there something about contempt before investigation we shouldn't disregard something until we've investigated it mm. but i think the same goes feel free to investigate before you accept yes as well mm. so did you when you met your husband did you go onto the internet and look what love was? Yes. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> no. I, <laughs> scientist for, I'll die a scientist. <laughs> I googled the crap out of that. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. I googled 
dating and love and romance and how to and how to negotiate relationships and how do I know that I'm feeling love? What is the actual physical response in the brain Whoa. to love? And how long does that last? Is it completely fake? Oh yeah, the list goes on. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I did that was because it scared me. And I wanted an out because I had never felt what I was yeah. feeling. So, so your security yeah. blanket is very much to to go into your head. To yes. go, go and find the rational, the facts, the knowledge, and there you feel comfortable. And I need to understand why things are happening and why I'm thinking the way I am and why others are behaving the way they are because that's how I describe and understand my universe. Yeah. God, I didn't realize it was that difficult for you. <laughs> I was just so excited for you. <laughs> you could have just asked me. I would have told you there's no answer. It's fine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did it once. <laughs> and the, it's, it's just as it is. It's fine. Did not work for you. <laughs> no. Mostly because it was something new. Yeah. Like anything new, I need to investigate it. And did you grow up with a sense of spirituality, with religion, with Buddha, with... Uh, Something like that? No. I had part religious family. So my mom never took us to church. It was never religious. Uh, my grandparents and my cousins, so my mother's side of the family, were very religious. And I can remember going to Sunday school. And I can remember asking a lot of questions. <laughs> the and teacher I can asked remember, you to not come back. <laughs> I can remember being asked to go outside. Are you I don't, yeah, I don't remember what the questions were. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't remember. I can also remember we used to have religious education or religious instruction in school. I was That's giving away you, my age. I was going to ask you about that because it doesn't matter how at home we might not be taught to believe, but walking into a Christian national education system because that was the education system. I remember getting permission to sit in the corner and do whatever I want. Are you serious? Yeah, I never had to hand in. Because we used to write scripture or write stuff and answer questions. And I would ask a lot of questions. And I would voice, <laughs> how does this work? How do you divide waters? Come, people, explain it to me. Then I will oh, believe you. So you were just seen as a, as a pain in the ass because you just <laughs> could, couldn't accept. And that's why recovery became so difficult. It's also probably why, partly, I got into recovery in the first place is that need to question and figure out what is going on with me that I don't understand and that I can't control. And then investigated a little bit into the idea of the disease being, the possibility of it being a disease, because I'd never thought about it until I started investigating it. Yeah. And do you buy into the disease theory? Yes. Yes, I do. It took me a while to buy into the disease theory. Not for scientific reasons, for it felt if I acknowledge addiction as a disease, that it's a cop-out, uh. that I'm not taking responsibility for all the crap that I've caused, <laughs> and I needed to beat myself up. That's interesting. And if, if I acknowledge disease theory, then I am taking the big stick away. Mm. And my life is not about not beating, beating myself up. I had to do it. Mm. It was only with my second or third step step two where I looked at my insanity 
where everything I did went so against every moral fiber in my body, yet I had to do it. And the answer after that was, but why? And I go, because you were insane. You're completely insane. And there was something else making you do this. And that, I now believe, was the disease. That was quite different. For me, the moment they started talking about, this was in treatment, they started talking about it being a disease. I'd never thought about it like that. But the moment I could equate what was going on in my head with something like diabetes, I felt free. All of a sudden I was like, I understand. And it made sense to me that there were certain things I just could never do anymore or could never do again because it's bad for me and yeah. it makes me sicker. So it was a very freeing discovery. And it helps in my interpersonal relationship with others where I see their behavior as a disease and that they actually can't help it. Yes. And it makes it easier for me to relate. After school? I started working first. And then Doing what? I was, we were in the restaurant business. So I went into managing restaurants okay. in Johannesburg. Lovely breeding ground for addiction. And then when I Actually, was... all forms of addiction. Or many all forms, forms of addiction. addiction. Yeah, yeah like I dabbled in alcoholism and pills and obviously the opposite scale on food. So bulimia and anorexia, all of it. Oh, wow. In my few years in restaurant industry. And so I only started studying or registered for university at 22. Yeah. And then you came down to Cape Town to study. Or no, I studied in... I was at UNISA for my undergrad. So that I could work because I had no money. So I had to hold some kind of a job. So I did my undergraduate degree while working. And then I got, I did really well because then it was for me. Um, So I got my degree cum laude. Fantastic. And then got a bursary to do honors at WITS. And by then, obviously, I had realized what I wanted to do because it was for me and archaeology was it. So I did my honors and it was paid. I got a full ride and then I got... A full ride for masters as well. Also at Vits. Also at Vits. Were you struggling with addiction already then? Did you know it was a problem or was it just part of your life and, and you accepted that was just... I knew it was a problem, but it was a problem for the wrong reasons. It was a problem because I was overweight. It is a problem not because of health or insanity. It was because I wasn't thin and people could see this fat girl. That was the problem. Okay. So it wasn't... I was nuts or I was struggling with the concepts of addiction. I had never even considered that. Okay. Yeah. Only in my master's year did it pop up with the stress of doing a master's program that that became key uh, where my insanity and the relationship I had with someone at the time was really strained because of the insanity. And he would point it out to me saying, why are you trying to kill yourself all the time? Just with ice cream or whatever it was. Oh, what a way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He would call me things like self-destructive and self-harming. And I could never understand because I wasn't self-harming with a knife. So I never understood And then there was a major event towards the end of my master's program where people broke into the house and held us up. And that was a real catalyst for me where 
that experience threw me into a depression and massive anxiety. And that coupled with eating so much was a real problem. Okay. Uh, so it started costing me even more financially because an eating habit is very, really expensive. It destroyed my relationship with the person I was living with at the time, not only because of the depression and the anxiety, but also the need to find comfort and solace in food rather than anybody else. Yeah. And I completely withdrew. Yeah, nearly failed the master's program. I ended up pulling it together. I don't know how. Wow. <laughs> like I think back on how chaotic that time in my life was. And to be able to actually write a mini thesis and get a fairly good pass rate enough to be able to get a scholarship for PhD was phenomenal. Oh, my word. I think it's just, you know. Like my mother would say... um, with the wind from behind and the grace from above. Die wind van achter en genade van boe het jy dit gemaakt. I have no idea how I did it. But I had, okay. I had done really well up until that point. And so I think I just rode the, the wave through. Yeah, so that's when I started thinking about the food being a real problem, but thought it was related to the trauma. So I started going for trauma counseling, which was really beneficial at the time because there was other chaos in the family, financial chaos, that was a, an additional catalyst. And having that trauma therapy actually helped deal with a lot of the chaos. Put a lot of things into perspective. Yeah. And that trauma counselor actually planted the seed saying, maybe there's something else. Ah. And you can't say that to a scientist because, <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, tell me now. <laughs> so I started looking into things here and there, more about geographical moves. Maybe I should go live in Canada. Things will be better there. I'll get them there. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, that, too, that never too happened. bloody freezing to take my hands out of my pockets to eat. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I started working again just to recoup some financial losses from the family drama. Then I had applied for a PhD program, which was here in Cape Town. And about a year after my master's, I found out that I got it. Okay. And that's what brought me to Cape Town. And again, that geographical was great for the first two months because I was away from family and I'm out on my own and doing something new in a new city. But it was very scary. And I started hiding away, isolating and basically ate my grant money away oh my for God. that first year very very easily yeah and then i started investigating so okay the trauma counselor said there could be something else let me start looking into it and i did that with the help of a friend who was in aa okay and he was in the same department at the university of cape town with me also an archaeologist and in true AA or fellowship fashion didn't tell me I needed recovery <laughs> but sort of told me his story and one night over dinner I said well wouldn't it be nice if there was AA for people who were addicted to food and he went well actually <laughs> I'm so glad you asked <laughs> took out booklets pamphlets <laughs> literature <laughs> no he just said I have phoned this person. She's going to meet you at your first meeting. Oh, wow. That was it. 
and that's how I discovered all the answers. Amazing. Yeah. So, through the knowledge that there's something wrong, the idea that you can't do this, you can't fix this, did it ever come up with you? Or was that only only when you got into the program and were taught the concept of powerlessness? Only after I was in the program. Right up until then, even the first few months of the program, it was about how am I going to control this? How am I going to fix it? Control. Absolutely. Um, And I'm going to learn everything I possibly can so that I can figure this out. Yeah. Which is, I think, what a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah, It's amazing to, to see the switch in people from that the first word that most of us use is control. I mm. need to learn to control this. Right. Thinking that we have the power to, to mm. do that. And then from the control that to understand this, to get again as much knowledge as possible on this, always thinking that knowledge is the answer. And then eventually realizing that this isn't going to work. There, mm. there, there, needs, to be, there needs to be something else. And then you actually start listening to the principles of a recovery program. So you've been now in recovery for nearly eight years. Yes. So how are things for you now? There's a very long sigh and a frown. <laughs> Thinking. <laughs> Life is good. Life is very, very different. Life is not easier. It's better. It's by far better. I feel healthier, I look healthier, my mind isn't focused on weight loss anymore. I am feeling confident about myself. I feel good about where I am in life. But there are things that I still struggle with. I still, eight years later, or nearly eight years later, crave certain things. And I don't know that that will ever go away. I do think it has a lot to do with having a process addiction. Yeah. That that is more difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about yeah. that. So I have to eat to survive. Yeah. I've often said, if I never had to eat again, it would probably be easier. It's not like an alcoholic where I just don't pick up alcohol yes. ever. That's it. I, I need to make peace with food. And I find that very, very difficult. Because I wanted to mention that earlier when you said mm. you relapsed. I wanted to say, did you really relapse or did you have regular slips? Yeah, no, I really relapsed. Is it? Yeah. Okay. It was weeks and weeks of in the food chaos. And that doesn't happen anymore. I do slip. So there'll be really stressful periods in my life where work is chaos. I feel less than for whatever reason and food is the answer that blankie that you pull over you exactly oh. and it's very difficult to say no to a muffin <laughs> when it's being given to you at a <laughs> conference and you're feeling chaos and it just makes sense to me did i ever tell you, you know? a story of a, a friend of mine who went to a place called vida a cafe mm. and he ordered the was it the three cheese muffin or something yeah and as he cut into it, he looked up at me and said to me, you know what, I have never met a man who excites me as much as a good muffin does. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you nearly felt the same. Or you nearly go through phases where no man, no nothing is going to, to fulfill me as much as this muffin will. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so 
I do something for you to, 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 to look into is the science of a muffin. Science of a muffin. Don't put extra ideas in my head. There's enough up there. <laughs> it's okay to have a muffin randomly. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. But I can't do it when I'm in a specific frame of mind. And that's where the spirituality plays an important part that I need to check in with what I see, what I perceive as my universe before I can delve into that kind of food. And usually when I'm craving it, it's very much the wrong time to have that kind of food. Yeah. If it doesn't matter to me, then it's usually all right. So it sounds like your spirituality in a big way is awareness, mm. is that ability to check in, to connect to see where you are in terms of what is good and what is bad for you at that stage yes because food is variable or the addiction is variable and when that's something i'm craving i know that something else is wrong yeah and that's when i tap into that connectivity i'll pick up the phone i'll add an extra meeting, I'll chat to hubby, I'll meditate, sit with the kitty, go for a walk, anything to help me feel at peace and touch base with everything around me and say, actually, I don't need X, Y, Z to feel better. Now, like me, your hubby is also a scientist. Correct. (laughs) So how does he connect with the, uh, let's call it the irrationality? Remember we had one conversation around a dinner table one night. We, we spoke about what our heads tell us sometimes, what goes on in our heads. And both of them kind of, do you really say those things to yourself? And we <laughs> yes. And like, no, but how's that possible? How does he connect with your unmanageability at stages? <laughs> Mostly he just laughs at me. <laughs> which brings you down to, which points the irrationality of, exactly. of the unmanageability of it to you, which pulls you back into being okay. Yes. Yeah. And he's very good about sitting down with me and saying, what's going on for you? Because he's also quite tuned in to my behavior. So this last week has been particularly rough. And at home, my food has been very stable. But at work, where I've had lots of meetings and people have always had cookies and snacks and so I've started picking and I haven't said anything. And on Friday afternoon when I got home and I said, thank goodness this week is over because it's been really rough food-wise, a flag went up for him when he said, but you haven't told me. And that's a big no-no for me is that I have to share what's going on for me every day. Mm. So I let my spirituality, my connectedness with those around me go for the week and look at the path it took me on. Yeah. Cookies and cake and whatever it was until I started sharing it and I centered myself and then we chatted. So he's very good about identifying the issues and he can see in my behavior when something's wrong. What do you do to keep your spirituality alive? I... I read a lot. I really love the AA book. I don't like the gender bias and the lack of science. <laughs> Let me just put that in there. But. <laughs> well, it was written in 1938 or something. Yes. And you, you really know that when you it's read fine. it. <laughs> I speak about the connectivity a lot in meetings. Because I like sharing that. Because not everyone has the idea of God, especially newcomers who are mm. really struggling with that. 
And I so think you do meetings as well? I do meetings as well. And I think most of all is my sponsees, if I have to think about it. And then the other thing would be meditation, or at least I'm not a great meditator. Okay. I... <laughs> I get distracted way too quickly. Yes, well. <laughs> mm. Or like, oh, this oh, voice. Puppy. Is... <laughs> or how does this person think their voice is good at meditating? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> or I, I would also kind of say, oh, did they not hear the motorbike going past the background? Couldn't they have done that, redid read that section or something like that? So I'm not a great meditator, although I try. Have you ever done you... meditations with affirmations? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Those are the worst. So the guy would go, I am a strong and confident person. I would go, well, strong I might be, but I don't know about the confidence. Every single thing I question in my head, I'm not present at all. Or just, no, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. Or while you're saying that, you don't sound it. <laughs> anyway, so meditation doesn't work, but I'm... Um quiet time what I call quiet time or just centering myself stopping what I'm doing paying attention to my breathing just being connected to the space around me uh, blocking out noise and sound and I do this at my desk quite often I'll all of a sudden it would have been really chaotic and busy and stressed and I find that my heart rate is up and I'm busy and I've got too much going on I just shut my door and I take it's just five minutes and I just have that quiet restful time and I just breathe and I calm my heart rate and I focus my thoughts and that's for me coming becoming connected with my universe and that's the higher power because I don't know anything else in my world that can do that for me yeah besides maybe chocolate cake and I don't (laughs) want it so we do this if you have to give anybody advice listening to this who thinks I don't know whether I can ever become connected in some way or my life is a crisis, but I can't see myself ever giving this crisis up for what might be out there. Is there any word of advice from Wendy to Mrs. X thinking that everything's lost? Stop looking at Google. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Google is not your friend. It's not the answer. Start talking to people more. About the issue. About the issue. About the feelings around the issue. Stop being so scared because everyone is feeling the same thing. So start sharing it. It helps. And establish quiet time to figure out what it is you need from people, places and things around you that feed your soul rather than damage it. And whatever that is, whether it's a walk along the beach or playing with a puppy or sitting, focusing on your breathing for 10 minutes. That's what it is for you. So what I'm hearing you saying is there is help and invariably the answer is inside you already. And you know it already. Maybe all you need to do is acknowledge, number one, the problem. Yes. Number two, acknowledge that there is help. Get that help. And many times that help is only to help you access the I'm going to use a word, a strange word, but access the goddess within. Because mm. that's something I, I, I came to believe as well, is the answer is inside me. And I think of that as kind of godlike. Sometimes we need to get somebody to help us access that. Yes. But it's there. I agree. So it's always there. You just Good. need to learn how to tap into it. 
And it's hard. I always say, if I could do it, you can do it as well. She's like, I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> awesome. And I think we all think that yeah. because it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Awesome. Wendy, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I will. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Wendy. It is inspiring to hear how she was able to find a balance between her scientific nature and her spiritual needs. While in the process, managing to not only stay true to herself, but getting to know herself better and growing both professionally and spiritually. I hope you find some inspiration in having listened to her story. This is it for this episode. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za forward slash or on Twitter at at Rendsburg Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Be safe. Bye-bye.